0: Um, my own ministry background, um, came to Christ when I was like 18 or 19 and just had like this great, you know, you know new believer enthusiasm, mm-hmm. right? Like it hasn't dawned on you that you should be ashamed of Jesus yet, so you're not, right? And you just kind of like, I was like sharing the gospel with everyone on campus and kind of had that excitement and shortly after that I got involved in our, our local church and my kind of introduction to ministry was interning in my local church in the... Um, the, the poorest areas of of Edinburgh which in Edinburgh are all on the outskirts of the city right uh, the city centre itself there's certainly some homelessness and, and such but it's really it's wealthy The d- downtown Edinburgh is wealthy and the further out you go right the kind of the, the poorer you get to so the outskirts of the city which is like the kind of train part of the world if you've seen that movie it's the highest rates of like heroin use in Europe highest rates of teen pregnancy in Europe and so my internship my, my like introduction to ministry was doing um, um, evangelism uh, in, in these kind of housing housing estates. From there, I did that for a couple of years. Then moved to the states and went to seminary. During which time, <coughs> I um, interned again in the local church in college ministry, right? Which was just a profoundly different experience, going from these kind of like deprived, economically deprived areas to kind of Jackson College kids, right? Kind of quite a preppy kind of environment. Um, Finished up there and moved to, uh, went straight from seminary to to McLean, the church of Matt. I arrived there as an assistant pastor. um, Church then, probably about a thousand members, and I did young adult ministry. And I think young adult ministry is like the Cadillac of ministries, Mm -hmm. right? Because so many, like... It's such an interesting age where there's kind of life and enthusiasm and deep cynicism hasn't quite kicked in yet um, And you don't have to deal with their parents None Do of them are you know what I'm saying? None of them are minors We go on retreats, right? I don't want them to get drunk and have sex But if they do, that's not my fault, you know what I mean? Like It's, kind of like, it's just like, I love this ministry, right? It's great um, So the did Young Adult ministry and community group ministry And really... Um, Sort of took on more and more in the life of the church and <clears throat> after about seven years um, I became the senior pastor at McLean the previous senior pastor left I became senior pastor there um, so experience ranges from doing like ministry in these really poor areas of Edinburgh to being the senior pastor of a, a church of about 2,000 members McLean um, and what's interesting is that they're all very different jobs mm. you know, they're completely different jobs they're not like they've all been in ministry but they've all been different, you know, they've all had different tasks, different responsibilities, and uh, different to the to challenges you're facing on a day-to-day basis. And um, even your own situations will make your jobs different. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like when you talk to each other in different places, different contexts there. There's a wide variety of things. Now, I kind of was thinking about... What I wanted to talk about today and I started with this long rambling list that kind of like I ended up not going with this plan because it was turning into like a bit of a memoir (laughs) you know what I mean like just all these principles that the Lord has pressed in upon me through my time. Um, Principles like um, Jesus is your life the church is not your life. So important to like embed this into your soul so that you both aren't put that off by other people's criticism right and so that you have the courage to do the things that you need that need to be done you know um principles like um you know difficult people don't get in the way of your ministry they are your ministry it's so easy to get into that place where like you know that one person that one family that one critical voice it's so easy to think that like we're or to forget that we're, he- we're here for them our job is their spiritual welfare for them to grow and mature and just because they're throwing rocks at us doesn't mean that it's not our job to care by their souls you know Um, lots of principles that came um, into my heart through like real struggles with anxiety and depression Um, things I've I've had to wrestle with in terms of like how do you have an authentic vulnerable ministry even when you're really struggling you know Um, the importance of like culture in the life of a church. Uh, we tend to be way too focused on the tasks of ministry and not pay enough attention to the, the culture of our ministry. By culture, I'm meaning like the atmosphere, the experience. What's it like to be a part of this group, right? It matters not, you know, you know um, it, it, it matters whether you're doing a study in John or Jonah. It doesn't matter that much. Right? Um, what will be more impactful to these kids is what the experience of doing either of those things is like. And what controls that experience is actually the, the culture that you create. So, look, all sorts of things that are kind of like coming into my heart, coming into my mind as I was thinking about this. And I've decided to go in a much more practical direction, and I don't know if it's the right decision, we'll see. Um, and kind of do a, a lesson, um, on, on leading leaders that's much more kind of blocking, uh, tackling tactical level. Because, um, Leading leaders is one of those things that all of us have to do, no matter what, no matter what ministry job I've had, no matter what the context. Leading leaders is something I've had to do, whether it's elders, or staff members, or um, student volunteers, or student leaders. Right? We we all have to uh, figure out how um, our ministries can be effective as we. Uh, do more than we could ever accomplish ourselves by leading leaders well. So, a couple of thoughts. Um, well, let me pray first, and then and then we'll and then we'll dive into this. Father, we are grateful for this time, and I pray that you'd be with us, and that it would be practical and helpful, and that there would be little things along the way that we glean, um, not just from what, from what I might share, but from uh, what we share together, uh, that would really help us in our in our ministries. Because, Lord, we um, you've, you've placed this beautiful call on our lives. a beautiful privilege that it is to take the grace that we have received and extend it to others. And so we, we, want to, we want to do that as well as we can. And so we pray that this time will be helpful to that end, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, leading leaders. Um, as we talk about this, can you just think, who are the leaders in your group? Who are the leaders that you're currently trying to lead? Can we make make this personal, right? Put some faces on it, put some some names, put some stories on it and just celebrate the first thing I love about Jesus when it comes to leading leaders is Mark 3, verse 14. Uh, Jesus appointed 12 and he also named apostles so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Don't you love the order of that verse? Isn't that great? Um, When we think about... Jesus and his disciples, he didn't um, call them and appoint them first and foremost so they could just go do stuff for him. You know, like Jesus kind of like the taskmaster with a long list of stuff that needs done and he's very busy and he's very important and he doesn't have time to do it all so he's going to tell some other people to do it. No, Jesus starts by saying he gathered the twelve so that they might be with him that he might have a relationship with them. And yeah, we're going to get to this, the call he puts in their lives. We're going to get to the fact that he sends them out to preach, and that's a good and beautiful thing. But um, this is so deeply encouraging to me, first of all, just because remember that the call of God on your life to lead in his church is first and foremost a call just to be with him. Right. Um, in the gospel, being precedes doing, you familiar with this? Theological terms would be our ontology, precedes pragmatic doing, meaning who we are in Christ is more important than what we do for Christ. right? And what we do for Christ is only the overflow of what he has done in us. Right? Uh, grinding ourselves again and again and again in this reality that, that Jesus has set his love upon you and he's called you to this task of ministry. First and foremost that you might be with him. And only secondly that you may, then might go out and preach, right? And so we take that similar approach with our teams, right? Mm-hmm. Um, don't think of your leaders, don't think of your volunteers, uh, don't think of you know, the folks that are working in your ministry, be they volunteers, be they students, whatever, as primarily a group of people that are going to help you get stuff done. Mm-hmm. Yeah? We do need to get stuff done. we're going to get there and we get there in the very next phrase it doesn't take us long to get there but we need to first dwell on the fact that God has put these people in our lives and we are leading them that we might might be with them that we might be in relationship with them that we might share life together with them that through our work with them not only will our (laughs) ministry be more healthy but their souls, our souls will be more healthy as we're in relationship together it's really important, you know, because like Human nature is fascinating. Some everybody intuitively knows when you're using them. We just everybody has a kind of like a kind of this BS radar, right? They just know when you're using them, and it's so. Do you know when that's worst? It's when you're using. They know you're using them, and you're dressing it up as holy, right? That's that's the worst. That kind of manipulation in leadership is is dangerous, right? And so we start. Jesus, I can't believe it. You've called us to ministry, first of all, just so that we'd be with you. I love that. And so, that's my approach. That's that's our approach for the people that we're leading to. That you might be with them. Secondly, though, hmm, I have some weird pop-up. Hold on. Hmm. Norton Security. The computer FE eighty is trying to access your computer. Who's that? <laughs> Leah, is that you? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, secondly, we'll see. Hopefully, that one happened too much. It may happen again. Secondly, this verse from Ephesians. So, these these two verses are verses. See, there we go. Um, that are kind of like. Let me see if I can turn this off and show block uh, Wi-Fi off, this off. Okay. Um, these two verses are kind of like the boundaries for how we think. We're just, we're just starting to think about how we lead leaders. First one, that might, might, might be with them. Second one is that Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You guys know this passage, Ephesians 4, verse 12, kind of famous verse, uh, because it highlights that our primary role in ministry is to equip other people to do ministry. One pastor says um, a little obnoxiously, but to make the point, um, I left ministry the day I became a pastor. Right? Does that make sense? To you? <laughs> that, that, that our job is not primarily to do all the ministry, but to equip the saints for the work of of ministry. Um, and that's true with our with the volunteers in our ministry, and it's also true of the the kids the the Christian kids in our ministries that what we're trying to do is raise them up for a lifetime of usefulness in ministry so of course that involves talking about all the mess and the brokenness and the pain and the sin and the rebellion of their of their lives absolutely it does like we don't gloss over any of that we're talking about and through all of that that they might be far more into Christ and that they then might live more for Christ right um, it 's a beautiful thing, and we 'll talk about this more on um, thursday night with Jesus' question to Peter, do you love me right That The, the, the gospel is so full, so complete that it doesn 't just forgive us it doesn 't just heal us of our brokenness, it actually then recommissions us for usefulness to him right and so our goal with our with our, with our leaders isn 't just to be with them but it 's also to equip them. Our job is to equip them that they might live a life of usefulness for him right. So, how do you do that, right? How do you take someone, how do you, how do you lead your leaders in a way that's going to equip them for the work of ministry? I have three things for you, all right? Three legged stool, vision, honor, training. Vision, training, honor. Sorry. These are the three things that. Now, what would I say about these? I would say uh vision training and honor i suspect you're already doing these things with all your leaders as a church the the way our leadership the way we we came up with this <laughs> like as though is we kind of tried to put on paper the various threads of things that we were doing you know so we just tried to i don't think any of this will be new if it's helpful because it puts it all in one place kind of at the same time right to lead your leaders well think of your volunteers think of your student leaders you need to give them three things vision training honor let's talk about vision first does anyone know what this pic this picture is anyone seen that before it's the winchester house ever heard of the winchester house so sarah winchester married into the family that designed and built the winchester rifle okay and when her husband died she left this vast vast fortune and she consulted um after her husband's death she consulted this like this medium this sort of fortune teller of sorts and this woman told her hey um And the the ghosts of all the people that were killed with the Winchester rifle are going to come and haunt your home unless you continually develop and build it. Mm -hmm. Right? So what happened was, from from that day forward, I think it was for 38 years until she died, there was always construction going on in this Mm -hmm. house. Right, Hammers pounded, nails were driven in, you know, crews came, crews left, all because she was terrified that these ghosts were going to come and haunt her. Now what's resulted is, I think it's out in, in, in California, what's resulted is a home that's so odd it's become a tourist attraction. Mm-hmm. Why? Because like stairways lead up to ceilings right? and windows open up into walls. right? Um, all sorts of activity but absolutely no cohesion to the thing that was being that was being built because remember the point wasn't to build anything in particular the point was just to keep building and so you have this random collection of you know (laughs) things that together make make no sense and the problem is way too many ministries are building a Winchester mansion Mm. right we're busy doing good things and you know there's always good things to do right We get busy doing good things, but there's a lack of cohesion or purpose behind why we're doing the things that that we're doing. Right? And so, if you notice, like, when people come and suggest to you, "Hey, we should we should have a ministry about this thing or that thing or the next thing," it's never like a horrible, sinful idea. You know what I mean? It's always like a good idea. It's always like a good thing that we should care about. You know, people. You know, their burn is for homelessness or for for abortion and loving women who find themselves in these situations, or you know, um, your parent who's like really big on like inductive Bible study, or the person in your church who's really passionate about prayer and like we should be praying more. And you can never be like no we should not be praying more right you know what I mean like like no we shouldn't care about the homeless like all these things are, are good and so so often what happens in ministry is we just add it. We, add it we try and add it all in right and what happens is our church and our student ministry becomes a little bit like the Winchester mansion it's for this reason Scott Red, one of my mentors, says the leader's first duty is to get a vision it's to get a vision. You need to have clarity over what what is a vision? It's what you want to see happen. That's what a vision is. What do you want to see happen in your in your ministry? See um one year, three years, five years, ten years from now, how would you know if it was successful? Right? You gotta answer that question. See if you don't answer that question, you know someone else is gonna answer it for you. Right? Um, parents are gonna answer it for you. Um People, other people in the church are going to answer it for you. Like, what is what, what is, what, what is your heartbeat for your ministry? What do you think Jesus is calling you to do in your place, in your time? Secondly, not only do you need a vision, every follower needs a vision. Nothing more demoralizing than a leader who can't clearly articulate why we're doing what we're doing. Student <clears throat> ministry is great because it keeps you honest right because kids students ask this question all the time right and if you don't have a good answer you know they see they see through that you know, and if you don't have a good answer, then you know. Say, say you're, you do large group, you do small group, you do one-on-ones, right? If you if you don't know why you're doing those things, and your kind of answer as well it's just the kind of things we do in church, right? Deeply uncompelling answer to a student, <laughs> right? Um, we need to have a sense of where it is we're going, and our people need to have a sense of where we're going. Which means that we need to be continually driving into our leaders the vision behind what it is that we're doing. Right. Let me give you a quick case study, and this case study is of our own church, and it's not designed. Please hear me in this. I'm not saying, "Hey, here's how you do it, and we are awesome." I'm saying, "Here's how we've tried." Right? Here's here's an attempt that might that might help you um, when it comes to to giving vision to your people. It starts with our our vision statement. Right? You know, what? basically all church vision statements pretty much say the same thing. Okay. So, like, we exist to glorify and enjoy God. Presbyterians, where did we get that from? Right? (laughs) Do you know, I was really inspired one day and I came up with this idea. (laughs) Right? Then I thought, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Right? Um, No, that's not how this happened, right? This is us drawing on the theology of the scriptures and the tradition of our faith. chief purpose of humanity is to to glorify and enjoy God it's a beautiful thing right it ties back to the idea we've already discussed about uh, Jesus calling the twelve that they might be with him that our purpose here on earth is, is to be in relationship with our Father and uh, to glorify him simply means to celebrate him you, you know like to, to glorify some, when you give some, someone glory you don't give them something they didn't have already Right. it's not like you're handing something to them you're recognising something about them you're celebrating the greatness of God just for who He is and for all He's done for us how do we glorify God? well we glorify Him by enjoying Him in all things uh, whether you eat, drink or whatever you do do all to the glory of God um, how do you drink to the glory of God? right um, well two ways uh, or, sorry there's two ways to drink a cup of coffee Right. came down, came, arrived this morning right, right. First stop, straight to the coffee pot, right? Sometimes, like, I'll roll down the stairs and I'll be like, ugh, I'm not awake and I'm not alive and I'm gonna kick the cat or a child and I'm gonna, like, <laughs> album away to the coffee pot and I'm gonna, you know, th- throw it down my throat as soon as it cools a little bit and then I'm gonna jump in my car and just, like, get on with my day, right? Okay, then, you know, an experience some of you are very familiar with, right? Are <laughs> you saying this that, one? Yeah. This is you. We got coffee yesterday when it, she first got off the plane, and I spent the next four hours drinking my coffee. Yeah, mine was gone in about ten minutes. Yes. <laughs> so that's. It was iced coffee, so I didn't even have to for it. Genius, <laughs> right? That is one way, just intravenous, <laughs> right? That is one way to drink a cup of coffee. Okay. Another way to drink a cup of coffee is to wake up, stumble downstairs, <laughs> kick the cat, kick the child, <laughs> arrive at the coffee pot, pour my coffee, and just stop and connect the dots. Between coffee and God, and say, Lord, you did. He did not need to create a world with caffeine, right? Praise the Lord for like legal drugs, you know. Um, amen, right? This is Lord. This is like a gift from on high that is completely unnecessary. I don't need this for my survival. I don't need this for my like you know kind of soul welfare. I mean. But I actually do, Jesus, right? <laughs> so thank you for giving me this cup of coffee. Now, you see how I am enjoying the coffee in a way that glorifies God. that That's the relationship between glory and enjoyment. Right? We glorify God as we enjoy him. And you know what? We could take it to a much more serious place like Psalm 73. Um, Whom have I in heaven, but you on earth, there's nothing I desire besides you. Uh, my flesh and my heart may fail, but you are my hope and my portion forever. He's saying, I will enjoy you more than my life. Right? Now, doesn't that God make God look glorious? Like, I, just, I love that. Like, all of us, you know, all of us at some point, like we're going to face that moment where we're going to need to treasure God more than our very lives. And in that moment of death, he's going to show up with dying grace and enable us to enjoy him most. And um, death will just be the gateway to life, right? Like we glorify and we we glorify God by enjoying him when we drink coffee and when we die and everything in between. Right? Um, second line: making disciples to make a difference. Um, okay. If this comes from the first catechism, this comes from the Great Commission, yeah. right? Any church, like you know, churches. Listen, and for your own ministry, don't. When we talk about have a vision, don't sit around and think what you want it to be. It doesn't matter what you want it to be. It matters what Jesus wants it to be. Like the church isn't this like profit like NGO, where we like do stuff, right? It's like no, we're a we're a group of men and women who've been given marching orders by the King. Right, um, we want to make disciples make disciples meaning people who just f- fully fledged followers of Jesus people who have been saved by grace and are not learning to live in joyful obedience um, in our context we say making disciples to make a difference that's actually kind of tautology, it's a redundancy, it's a repetition a disciple by definition would make a difference but in our context we add that tag to kind of push back a little against the idea that for most of our people when you say discipleship they think a cerebral activity Mm-hmm. They think Bible study. like what does it mean to do discipleship? They think it they think you know something insular they don 't realize that actually God changes us most when we serve others. right So we can add that add that redundancy. Lastly, um, how do we do that? Grace-filled worship, community, and missions. We think of these things as the context of discipleship, that as we put people in a context of worship, put people in a context of community, put people in a context of missions, that they grow in their faith. Now, why is this, uh, I hope, a helpful case study? Because we're trying to bring clarity to our vision by answering three questions, right? See what we're trying to do here? The first line answer is why we're here. And people need a why, right? And all the great quotes about, like, you know, if you have a why, you can do it anyhow, right? The, the, the purpose is what sustains you. The second line is designed right to answer what we do. We glorify and enjoy God by making disciples. And then the last line is designed to clarify how it is we do that, right? As a church, we do that through worship, community, and missions. Now, this is really important, right? <laughs> this is really important. You know all the terrifying scriptures of being like um, accountable for the souls in our flock, right? And accountable for the welfare of these of these students, right? And the things that keep you up at night about their eternal destiny and their and their lives in between. Like, I believe, you know, what? I'm going to stand before Jesus, and He's going to say He's going to hold me accountable for how I for how I pastored my flock. And see at the very least, that listen, um, all is grace, all is grace. I will bumble my way through a horrendous answer and he'll say, you're my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, right? But, but we are still going to be held to count. and see at the very least in that conversation when he's like, oh, how did you get on in my flock? I at very least want an answer of like how I tried, you know? Like a, a kind of minimum bar here would be like, yeah, we took what you said seriously and we tried, right? And how did we try? We tried to do it through worship, community, and missions. We like this because it gives us a picture of what a disciple looks like. So. Um, a disciple who comes to our worship services is in worship. A disciple, someone who is in community, one of our small groups, who is in missions, serving in the work of the church. As they put themselves in these contexts, they are exposed to the word and the spirit and they grow. Could you do those three things and sort of be twice the son of hell that you were before? Absolutely, you could. Right, um, discipleship, spiritual formation isn't just like check the box. Right, of course you could do these with a with a heart that wasn't you know open to Christ and you wouldn't grow. But that's actually quite unusual. Most people whose hearts are that way um, don't come to worship, uh, they don't come to community, and they certainly don't serve in the mission. Right. So while it's possible, it's un- it's unusual. So this this vision statement of ours, we find it helpful because it gives us, our people, a a picture of of what it means to be a member of our church, right? You know, like, if you're in the PCA with membership questions, do you promise to support the worship and work of this church to the best of your ability? We say, that's how you do that, right? What does it mean to do that? Be in worship, be in community, be in missions. Not only, though, does it give us a, a, a picture of discipleship, for us at our church, it gives us the process of discipleship, Right? Because it's the process of discipleship because our church, and there's nothing like biblically necessary about this, but our our church grows through our Sunday morning worship. Right, that's the the growth engine of our church now, as I said there's nothing like biblically necessary about that you could grow through your small groups um, I, I, I love it um, just this idea that you're getting unchurched kids showing up to student student ministries this is great there are lots of ways and, and the church should be growing in these ways as well right? but for us our primary growth engine is worship and so every Sunday if you're at our church you'll be sick and fed up of hearing me say hey life change doesn't happen in one hour on a Sunday morning really glad you're here we'll love for you to get connected to one of our communities go to a community group they're all over the place they meet every night of the week men women mix whatever you want we got one go to a Sunday school class go to our men's ministry go to our women's ministry you know some way of saying this ain't gonna get it done get involved in the life of the community church now once you're in community we start saying hey really glad you're in worship, really glad you're in community, now you need to get involved in serving in the church, so, hey, volunteer for the, you know, teach the fourth grade Sunday school class, or go, we, we're going to the homeless shelter on Thursday, or go on one of our international missions trips, like, we're, we're, we're kind of, like, encouraging people, um, we're pushing people, we are, we're prodding them, we're stepping on their toes, we're saying, hey, if you're here, but not here, we're glad you're here, but get here, likewise, <laughs> Get here. Move down this funnel because until you do these three things, you're not really being made into a disciple of of Christ. Why is this helpful? It's helpful because as a church we have clarity over what it is we're trying to do. Right? We're a you know, a two thousand member church with a thousand different things going on and ten thousand other things that could be going on. Uh, we're trying to bring clarity to ourselves and to our leaders to say this is what we're trying to do Um, this is how we are trying to make disciples in our church this brings clarity to our student ministries because we say to them student ministries exist in this column right Mm -hmm. this is the community life of our students right and within our student ministry we want to see these things happen Mm -hmm. right you see how this brings purpose to okay why are we here what are we trying to do this is why we're here this is what we're trying to do and as to the extent that we do that we're participating in the larger stream that helps us fulfill the commission that Christ has given us so you gotta have you gotta have clarity right in your own mind you have to have clarity over what the vision is of your ministry it doesn't have to be fancy it doesn't have to be complicated but you've got to know like what are you doing and why are you doing it right are you doing the kind of like um a very typical model of ministry would be to have we do large group on a sunday we do small groups another time in the week and then we do one-on-ones right is that is that how your ministry works um why do you do those things what are they achieving um, oh we do a retreat okay why do you do a retreat when do you do your retreat? what's the purpose of the retreat um don't do a retreat just because in student ministries you do retreats that's not a good reason to do a retreat now in student ministry there are lots of great reasons to do a retreat okay but just because we do isn't one of them right do you do a missions trip right um why why do you do the one that you do Right? You need to have clarity, be, like have ruthless clarity over the vision you have for your ministry, why you're doing what it is that you're doing. Right? Um, do you have that? Right? Can you speak to the why behind everything that you're doing? Um, work on that, foster that, develop that, write a list of all that's going on, uh, review, review, review why you're doing those things, test yourselves on it, don't get busy um, just doing stuff. So, where were we? Well, we started by saying, we're talking about leading leaders, and we need to give them vision. You know, training an honor. And I've spent the last 15 minutes ranting about vision. The point is, if you don't have it, you can't communicate it. Right? That's why I spent. That, that's why we kind of took that little detour, right? Although apparently following rabbit trails is like a theme of this retreat, so I'm I'm all right with I'm all right with this, right? But if you don't have it, you can't communicate it, right? And you need to be able to communicate it. Um, you need to be able to communicate it. Let me give you some words: clearly, regularly, tangibly, um, clearly. Um, everything I just said about the clarity you need to have in your own mind, you then need to be able to have in a form that, that you communicate to other people. Right. So. The way we've got our try to arms around that as a church is we've taken the kind of 50 plus live ministries we have and categorized them all into worship, community, and missions. So we don't talk to people about the 50 things we have going on. We talk to them about worship, community, and missions. Then within each of those, we give them the options that they could pursue to fulfill those. Clarity. Regularly, um, you need to talk. You here's the thing. Try and talk about vision too much. Try. Um, you can try, you will not succeed. right? You certainly need to talk about it until you're fed up of talking about it. Um, and you need to talk about it certainly to the point that your more attentive leaders and students are fed up if you talk about it. But even then, you, you won't be talking about it enough. Especially in, in something like ministry, which is cyclical, you know? Um, faces come, faces go. Students um, arrive and they graduate, right? There's a you know there's a, a, a flow to this where we always need to be talking about about why it is we're doing what we're doing. And then third, tangibly, tangibly I just mean is like the problem with words like vision is that they're very like up there somewhere, you know. Got to make it concrete. Um, even discipleship. Um, And this is like, I think this is a double challenge for you guys in student ministries as you're dealing with kids who are moving from like abstract to concrete thinking. You you know, like you gotta, like, from concrete to abstract, you you gotta like find ways to communicate what does it mean to be a disciple in a way that actually connects (coughs) with them, right? Um, How does being in worship community mission actually form that in them? How does being in large group, small group, you know, one-on-ones, conferences, retreats, missions trips, whatever it is, like, How can you talk to them in a way that helps them be compelled by the things it is that that we're doing? We don't have time. If we did have time, I'd ask you to think through these questions. How clearly can you articulate the vision of your ministry? Can your leaders articulate the vision that drives their area? Name one thing you could do to communicate more effectively. Summary. Vision. God's put leaders in your path, and you're responsible for leading them. Make sure they understand why, what, how you're doing, what you're doing. Second thing, leaders need training. Um, <laughs> can we say this? Don't assume your leaders know what they're doing. <laughs> like you know how we've just we just said, missions makes disciples. Right, we're formed as we serve, and your volunteers are willing to serve. They're willing to be engaged. Your student leaders too are willing to serve, but but through this service they need to grow, and just don't assume that they know what they're doing. A great example is Bible study. You know, like hardly anyone knows how to lead a Bible study, and why? Because they've not been taught. And you know who that's on? That's on us, (laughs) right? Um, You know, people don't know what to do with one-on-ones. Like it's really interesting, right? One-on-ones are often a complete waste of time because, first of all, um, well, they're a complete waste of time and money. Because like, you know, your your volunteer who's got a great heart takes a student out and they get like ice cream or whatever, and like they don't like mention the name of Jesus, and they don't dig under the surface level of life to understand like what's going on with this kid, how are they really doing it? Just becomes it becomes a social time that's actually indistinguishable from any other social time they might spend. You know, now if your if your leaders are horrible at one on ones, like who's that on, right? It's on us because <laughs> it's our job to, to show them to show them so don't assume don't assume what they're doing and I hope that's not meant to sound snarky right it's a joyful thing like no they're in this I have the opportunity to disciple them and lead them here it's a good thing um, secondly don't just tell them why show them how um, Yeah, don't just tell them, hey, we do one-on-ones so that our kids grow in their personal walk with Jesus. Like, show them how to do a one-on-one, you know? Don't just tell them, hey, we do Bible study so our kids grow in their knowledge of the Scriptures. Like, show them how to do that. How do you do that? Uh, I'm going to, quick thing here, work backwards. Um, Hang with, a little text heavy, but hang with me. Describe what you want them to achieve. Define what you want them to do. Determine the skills needed to succeed and decide the best way to train for these skills. Um, <coughs> let's make that concrete by just looking at an example small group leaders. You have small groups in your church? Okay, describe to your leaders what you want them to achieve. We do this community mini- ministries to equip our members to follow Christ in the circumstances, the unique circumstances that they are walking through. You know, from the pulpit ministry, you're not going to hit upon every like, context, situation, <laughs> application that your, your people are wrestling with. But when they get together in community, they're able to come alongside one another and say, Hey, um, I'm struggling with this thing in school. right? I'm struggling with this issue with a friend. And we're able to take the scriptures and apply them to these specific situations. So our goal is to, to help them. Oh, Christ. Okay, define what you want them to do. This is the job description. You should have job descriptions for all your volunteers. And you probably shouldn't call them job descriptions, right? You should call them someone else. Um, But you should have them. (laughs) And uh, what we're doing here is we're telling them, okay, this is what we want you to (laughs) achieve, and this is how we want you to go about it. We want you to lead bi-monthly Bible studies, we want you to meet one on one with each member in your group, however often, and we want you to attend our, our leader training. Right? That's just an example, right? Doesn't you, you have to fill in whatever it actually is in your context, right? What are you signing up to if you sign up to be a to be a small group leader, of your students? Then you need to determine. This is still on you. The skills that they need to do these things well, right? See, we're. We're looking at this, and we're saying, okay, if we've asked them to lead monthly, bi-monthly Bible, bi- Bible studies, we better teach them how to lead a Bible study. If we're asking them to meet one-on-one with students, we better teach them how to do that, <laughs> right? And you see what's happening here is like we're drawing a straight line. There's a straight line between what we what we want them to achieve, what we want, them, you know, what we actually want them to do, and and, and what they need to succeed at that, right? then the last thing you need to do and this is still all on, this is like still all on you right is decide the best way to train for these skills so these are the skills that they need to do a good job of leading a bible study what's the what's the best way to train them um, it could be that you're going to do large group training for bible study so you're going to get all your small group leaders together you know four times a year and you're going to teach them how to lead bible studies because in a large group format that's a thing you're you're able to do but you're going to do more personal coaching for for to, to train them in contact ministry. right? Contact ministry, there are some general principles, absolutely, and that, that, you know, but, but a lot of it is kind of like, um, like on-the-job training, <laughs> you know? So you've now decided, okay, we're gonna train our leaders, large group for Bible study, small group, and one-on-one for contact ministry. This is gonna give them the skills that they need in these areas to do what we've asked them to do and achieve what we want them to achieve, right? Straight line make sense Um, yeah I guess just summarise the leaders that God's put under our care um, are there for their welfare and their benefit as well and so we take seriously the disciples opportunity we have with them to train them to do what it is God would have to. Questions on that? Okay. Uh, we don't have time, but if we did, do your leaders know what you want them to do? See when you say, hey, volunteer with the youth group. What does that mean? What are they saying yes to? Do you know often they'll say no because they don't know what they're saying yes to? Right. Um, if you ask them much more specifically, hey, can you do this thing for me? And here's why I think you can do it. People will say, yeah. Do they know how you want them to do it? Okay. They've said they'll lead a Bible study. Do they know how to lead a Bible study? (laughs) They said they'll meet with kids. Do they know how to do that? How can you train them more effectively? If we do these first two, right? Vision. Our people understand. Why? What? How? How? They understand the goals what we want to see happen training they're now equipped to actually go out and and do that and the third one is uh, is honor. Um, let me move through these ideas quickly. People want to be seen uh, by, by, by honor I'm talking about gratitude I'm talking about thanking our leaders I'm talking about um, uh, yeah gratitude thanks. Honor to them for what for all it is that they're doing um, in our ministries. People want to be seen. They want to um, they want to know the, what, that what that they matter, right? That they're that they're not just a pawn in your plan to get stuff done, but that you actually care about them and what they're doing. Secondly, people want to be part of something bigger than themselves. Um, Thirdly, people want to know they're making a difference. Wrap up by talking about how you can go about that. Yep. Um, honor your people three ways. First, regularly. Um, you need you, you want to create in your church a culture of honor, right? Um, honor is a th- like honoring people is a thing that you can do as a task, but it also needs to be a culture that you create. Right? You need an atmosphere of of honor, a culture of gratitude and appreciation amongst your leaders. Um, and so to do that, you got you got to honor them regularly. Like, listen, you can't. Don't think of like volunteer appreciation as a banquet you do once a year. Right. First of all, uh, there's so many things that are wrong with that. Right including they don't need another night filled on their calendar right you're honoring them in a way that makes you feel good not them right second of all uh, when you wheel it out once a year like that it just kind of smacks of like a kind of false uh, saying the right thing but not actually meaning it you know Um, honoring has to be done regularly so how do you do that you show up in time see when you're having coffee with your volunteers show up in time do not be late Um, especially if they're meeting you. I mean, always, it's funny, always and especially, right? uh, when they're meeting you from work, right? When they've they've left the office to come meet you, do not be, you know, be there before them, Um, have their coffee ready for them. And that's, that's actually a good example. Know what drink they like and have it for them when they get there, right? See, that's just honoring, right? The difference in experience from like them sitting there waiting for you as you rush in late and them arriving with you sitting there and their drink already ordered, right, is the difference in, in honor. Um, feed them. Um, yeah. I don't know how much money your student ministry spends on food, but you could you could double it and it would still be worthwhile, right? You know, like just feed, feeding, feeding your people, taking them for breakfast, lunch, dinner. Um, anticipate needs. So, you know, sometimes like you have... Um, I love it when you get parents um, who are volunteering in your ministry, and anticipating the challenges that they might face. With uh, are they, what are they going to do with some of their other kids while they come to this event that you've planned? Like just anticipate that, ask about that, um, find all these little ways of regularly showing honor for your people. Secondly, honor them visionally. I know that's not a word, but whatever. Um, Thank them for it, kingdom impact. You know, this is really important. Don't thank them for what they've done for you. Thank them for what they're doing for Jesus, right? Um, all going back to this idea that the goal isn't to have a bunch of people who help us with our to-do lists. The goal is to have a group of leaders who are serving Christ. And so, thank them for for their their kingdom impact. You understand the difference, like between saying, "Hey." I really appreciated you leading that by uh, teaching Sunday school for me this week. Honestly, it was just a crazy week, and I was running from one place to the next. And you doing that just really maintained my sanity, and I'm grateful. Right. That's one way of honoring. The other is to say, "Hey, I'm really grateful you taught Sunday school this week. I followed up with a couple of kids, and they were really helped by this point that you made on this topic. And it's really, just I really saw how like Jesus is working in their hearts through that, and that they're they're really growing in Him. Like the work that you're doing is, is making a difference. You see, how oh, that's two very different. One's all about you. One's all about Jesus. Now, I should say, I think it's okay to say both, right? I think, uh, you know. It is okay to say both, there's not. It's great as a leader. You need to, you want to be vulnerable with your people. So it's fine to say the first half, but most people stop there, right? So say the first half, but don't neglect to say the second half. Thank people in terms of their their kingdom impact because um, Urban Meyer, right? You are what you emphasize. Um, emphasize offense, you'll be good on offense. Emphasize special teams, you'll be good on special teams, right? You are what you emphasize. If you emphasize helping you you're building a ministry around you, if you're emphasizing kingdom impact, people start thinking in that way. Uh, thirdly, specifically, um, get to know their love languages. So for example, when you're leading staff, you know all staff don't want the same things. Some want more money, some want more time off. Everyone wants more of both, but some would choose one over the other, <laughs> right? And so sometimes you're in a situation where, like, you know, the church budget's super tight and, like, you know, like, this person's been killing it and crushing it and you're not going to be in a position to give them a raise. But, do you know what? They don't actually care about that all that much. They would rather you give them, like, you know, three more days off. Um, thank people in a way that's meaningful to them, not in the way that's meaningful to you. Right? You know the love languages idea? Right? The whole, like words of affirmation, physical affection, quality time, acts of service, and whatever the other one is. Um, Like, yeah, love people in a way that's meaningful to them, not in a way that's meaningful to you. So, um, for your, when you think of the people that volunteer in your ministry, again, this is why, like, I'm not a fan of, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the thank you banquets, I'm not a big fan of the send everyone a gift card, Right? send everyone a gift card it's not terrible okay and it's it's not (laughs) life goal don't be terrible right like it's not terrible it's better than doing nothing but there are better things you can do right um even this is better i sent everyone a different gift card you know like i sent this person starbucks and i sent this person you know like I don't know, whatever it be, for a particular restaurant they like. And I sent another one, something from Amazon, because they're like, you know, so like just read books all the time or whatever, you know, like, thank them in a way that's specific to them, not just in a generic overall. You know the problem with that? It's a lot of work, right? It's a lot of work. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and that's what leaders do, right? That's what we do. We get up and we go to work. That's what we do. Um, you know, it's really, it's really good to go out to bed at the end of the day tired because you've been working. That's a good thing. And most of us, um, the, in the the busyness of ministry, it's it's too easy for us to end up spending all our time and our energy on the tasks, preparing your lesson, meeting that kid, etc., and not spending enough time on thinking about our vision. Thinking about how we're communicating. Thinking about training and how we're equipping our people. Thinking about a culture of honour and how we can thank people specifically. Um, I think you'll th- I th- I think it's true that in the long run, we overestimate the importance of tasks in ministry and we underestimate the importance of this stuff. Right? Questions if we had time? Do your leaders understand their role in fulfilling your vision? Do your leaders feel honoured? Why or why not? What's one thing you could do to honour them more effectively? Three your stool still the leading leaders? Vision, training, honour. You get these things right. They know why they're doing what they're doing. They know how to do what you've asked them to do. And they feel... Um, Good about being a part of your ministry. Mm -hmm. Questions? Comments? Boos, heckles, disagreements, (laughs) complaints, etc. Is there a way you can get your slides? Yes. I got yeah. Um yes, there's a notebook. Right. Is this right? Mm -hmm. I will add them. Yeah. Yeah. All this stuff reminds me of that um. Like, tyranny of the urgent book, right? Mm-hmm. Like, our, our desire to prioritize things that are urgent over things that are important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only way I've... Uh, so... You know, I mentioned in ministry there are, like, different ministry jobs are actually different jobs, okay, they're not just all variations, the same thing, and I've been very conscious that being senior pastor, like, my main job is now this stuff, right? To my friends who aren't Christians, I explain my job by saying, I'm a part-time CEO and I'm a part-time public speaker, right? That's basically my job, right? (laughs) You know, um, I do, I don't do much counselling now, Um, I do counselling with our, so, like when our deacons, when a deacon's marriage falls apart, I meet in those kind of situations. You know, but I don't do much of that. I don't do much Bible study. I don't do much of those things anymore. Like, I, it's it's why I share of my job now is to think about this stuff. And I recognize that's not where everybody is, right? Even still, I would encourage you block out time in your schedule where you work on things like this. Tuesday morning, eight till ten that's the time that you work on stuff like this that's the time you think about your vision think about communicating it that's the time you think about training what what do you you know what do your volunteers need that's the time you think about honor and what can we do for people you know like put it on your calendar the other thing that's great you know i love this about putting stuff on your calendar is that then when someone else has to do something say no um yeah my calendar's full at that point but i can see you another time Right. Nobody ever says, no one ever pushes back on that. Right? But if you don't have it on your calendar, you just say yes to the stuff that, the things that come up. So mm-hmm. block it out on your calendar, get it scheduled, get it done. Then, yeah. Uh, almost impossible. Like for youth sponsors is what we call them. Um we had a uh too much so nobody actually sure they to the medical Yes. Couple thoughts, right? Um, first of all, it is a big challenge, right? And I don't think you should feel like something strange is happening to you. You, you know what I mean? Like it's just, I think everyone would be like, oh, yeah, I get it. Here's, here's the challenge I'll give you. Um, I think gener- generic announcements are next to useless to actually get people involved. Um, announcements in your church are helpful for information swapping. They're not helpful for recruiting. And so uh, what the, what we have found s- s- helps us, you know, is when we approach people, right, and we tell them probably two things. First of all, well, maybe three things. First of all, we tell them, what's going on in our student ministry and just why we're excited about it secondly we tell them what it is we're hoping they'll do yeah, concretely and third we tell them why we want them to do it right as opposed to like just anybody to do it like what is it you see in this person that would make you think they'd be good to do this right sometimes it's things like um y- you've got this event that you need planned and you go to them and you say listen I, it like your organizational skills are off the chart, and I just like i 'm weak in this area, and I could really use your help because it 's going to bless our kids in this way right sometimes though it 's more specific like you're you're seeing something god 's put in them, like you know i don 't know if you feel this or not, but like kids respond really well to you 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 might feel it 's awkward, but they 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 actually respond well to you, and I, th- I think this is the thing that you could you could really help our church in right so you 're kind of calling out of them what god 's put in them, you know um and it's it's so it's identifying people that you approach and you recruit to be part of your your ministry. That's that's the only thing that we found helpful, you know. And don't be afraid to ask, and don't be afraid to hear no, right? <laughs> you know, and <coughs> never say no. <laughs> sorry. Didn't, didn't think too much, never say no for people, right? If they're going to say no, I'm going to make them say no. I'm not going to say no for it, you know? Um, DC, where I am, is like super self-important town, right? Um, um, when we talk about, like, oh, it'd be good to get this person to do X. And everyone's like, well, no, they'll never be able to do it, because they're blah, 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 blah. Right? And I'm like, you know, let's make them say no, <laughs> right? Um, you get a no for a thousand, you know, 100% that you don't ask is a no. <laughs> so ask and see. You might be surprised. Yeah. Other questions? Mark? When your leadership doesn't seem to understand their vision, any suggestions for how we can coach from behind? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's challenging. A couple things. First of all, it's helpful to have the... The non-negotiables. What, what are your non-negotiables, and are they biblical? Right. Um. What you know? What, what are those hills on which we wrapping up, Michael? You didn't see me. I'm not here. Okay. Um, what, what are those things that really are like for for you? Um. Yeah. Those non-negotiable areas. Um, you should have very few, and you should be completely unyielding about them right if you have too many that's a kind of that's actually a sign of immaturity you know like your students have 15,000 non-negotiables because they they everything's black and white and it's not gray. right so we shouldn't we shouldn't have many of them but what are those things for that for you non-negotiable and and are they are they biblical from then what you need to do is and what you'll typically find is that all leadership will be on board with those Because it's things like glorifying, enjoy God, making disciples, you you know, what you then need to do is the hard work of drawing a straight line from those things through your vision for your ministry. Because... Here's what happens from senior pastor perspective, right? It's budget time. You tell your people, hey, dream big, ask for whatever you want. And they do, and they come back, and they've requested two more million dollars than you have, right? Mm -hmm. And if your student guy comes in and says, hey, we want to do this, it'll be, like, awesome, (laughs) right? You're like, well, that's an easy no, right? (laughs) Right? But when they come in and say, hey, a big goal for us this year is to, um, uh, like, increase our kids' ability to share their faith with lost peers and so that's why we're doing this event and that's why we're bringing in the speaker and that's why we're you know attacking it in this way in order like when they draw you a straight line from the non-negotiable to the practice of ministry it's it then makes it easy to say yes you know what I mean so I think when leadership's not on board you draw the line between uh, the, the practice and the the non-negotiable um, and help take them with you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You know? Um, you yeah. know? Let me pray this out. Father, thanks for this time together. And uh, just that the way it's reflecting on ministry kind of stirs up different thoughts and ideas and emotions in our hearts. And, and Lord, I, I pray that um, you'll give us the grace that we need so that the, the things our own ministries need would stick in our hearts and stick in our minds. Um, you know, we've, we've discussed a lot of different things. Most of it can be forgotten. But for those things that are important to our own ministry areas, would you make them sticky? And uh, would you help each of us, Lord, just to take one thing that we learned today? Uh, just take one thing and um, improve our ministries in that way to your honour and to your glory. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.